Good morning! Yay! Hey, good morning, 9 a.m. service. Good morning, online congregation. Good morning. Ahui Manu got the recording over there today, but um, how was your guys' 4th of July? Was it good? You guys good? You made it to church the day after 4th of July, so it must have been all right, right? You guys made some time for the Lord in here today. Well, we got a really good... Um, guest speaker for you today. I get to sit and receive and be blessed, and I've already heard it a couple of times, and I keep learning more stuff along the way. You're going to be so blessed. We brought in, um, I'd like to say it, I can boldly say it, a new friend, not a guest speaker. There's a difference. You guys ever know that? There's some people that just come and see ya, thanks, you know, but there's some people that just God just kind of adheres your heart to, and um, one of the things that always impresses me about guest speakers and new pastors that I meet is the personal side of it because anybody can come and speak a good game and say some really good stuff and preach wisdom and all of that it's good but to hear someone's heart that that's different right and, and you become friends and so we got some time to to sit and go to dinner and hang out a little bit with uh pastor scott williams who's going to be sharing today and his his wife and his boys and uh he's going to tell you a little bit more about what he does and um, his background and everything but he he really came in to kind of give us some uh, some some consultation, some motivation, some some wisdom to speak encouragement and um, just kind of point us in the right direction and creativity as far as how can we do what we do, but even better, how can we reach more of the lost? How can we build the kingdom? How can we be a better church? But again, it's a personal thing that impressed me the most. It was the business stuff is amazing and it's good and we're inspired and you guys got to hold on to your seats because God's got some good stuff for us as a church. But I was impressed with the man and who he was and his heart and um, some of the personal stuff that we have in common. It's good to find stuff in common with people. Anybody, you realize that about your friends, it's good to have the same things. So we both like this one certain food, this one certain like candy, actually it's really good, Swedish fish. Anybody love the Swedish fish? Anybody got any fans? Okay, that right there, I was like, hey, wait, I think I like this guy. This is really good. Then the other thing is not that we had a love for a food, but we had a mutual hate for a food, if I can, uh, food, if I can say that in here. Onions, anybody? That's a, I don't trust that vegetable. That's the bad news. But when I found my kindred people who don't appreciate the onion the same way I do, man, that's, you just bumped it up from being guest speaker to I kind of like you to we're, we're friends, we're family right now, right? And so we had that kind of in common and some other things in common. And just, it was just fun getting to know each other. Our wives are both germaphobes and that's just fun, right? But, um, but really what impresses me is the guy loves Jesus, he loves the church, and he wants it to be all that it can be as the bride of Christ. And so you guys are gonna be blessed this morning. Would you guys do me the privilege and the honor to honor Pastor Scott as we stand to our feet and welcome him to the stage this morning. Can you welcome him, come on. Let's go ahead and start this thing off right. If you know that God is good all the time, let me hear you make some noise. <laughs> you may be seated in the house of the Lord. Oh, man, I'm already looking forward to preaching to the 9 o'clock. I've heard so much about you guys. I heard this is a service I want to come preach at because you guys are fired up. You're excited. And you're ready to receive. Is that a true story? Okay, this is going to be fun. As Pastor said... Uh, my name is Scott Williams, and I bring you greetings from the great state of Oklahoma, the city of Oklahoma City, home of the 2016 NBA champions, Oklahoma City. 
That wasn't a joke. That wasn't a joke. That's the truth. I thought I liked the nine o'clock. I don't know now. Let's change it. I want to welcome all of you guys. Join us all around the world at Church Online. I know you know that the Thunder are going to be the 2016 NBA champion. So glad you're here with us. Um, again, man, it is awesome to be here. Tell you just a little bit about me. I am, I'm married. I have one wife. Um, she's awesome. Uh, her name is LaKendria. She's white. I'm just joking. You knew she was black. You know what I'm saying? Anytime it's like, anytime the name begins with la, sha, fa, or duh, you know what I'm saying? Like, you guys seen Napoleon Dynamite? Remember La Fonda? You know what I'm saying? La Fonda so much. Look, Kendra, she's awesome. She's like hot. She loves Jesus. She's like the, the hot fudge and caramel on my Sunday. She's the hot sauce and maple syrup on my chicken and waffles. I just love her. Uh, and we have two boys. Uh, they are 12 and 16 years old, Jaden and Wes. They're in sports, so they keep me busy all the time. And I served on staff at a church, uh, LifeChurch.tv, outside of Oklahoma City. It's the largest church in America. I was on staff there for about six years. And about four and a half years ago, I really felt God you know, laid on our heart to step out and start this consulting company. It's called Next Level Solutions. And we've been real fortunate to have the opportunity to go around and, and work with some of the largest churches in the world. We work with Fortune 100 companies. It's, so, it's just lots of fun, lots of traveling. And, and so I'm in airplanes all all the time. And so, you know, he was talking a little bit earlier about our, our wives being germaphobes. Like, my wife, Lakendra, like, she's a real germaphobe. And I kind of am, too, if I'm just being real honest. So I get on the airplane. I get like the, I get, first of all, I get the hand sanitizer. And I get the wipes. Before I touch anything, I wipe the seatbelt thing off. I wipe the little AC thing off. I wipe my whole thing down. I wipe the dude beside me thing down, depending on how he's looking. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, bro, I need to wipe you down. And so anyway, but I, so I just, just kind of things that we do. And and again, one thing with traveling is like you meet all kinds of people and you go all sorts of places and you always like sit by like some interesting characters and they always like ask you what you do for a living. And the, the conversation always changes when you tell them like you're a pastor. Like I'll see ladies, they'll take their Fifty Shades of Grey book and start hiding in a magazine and then they'll take their liquor bottles and stuff them in a seat back in front of them. And so that's always fun. I remember one time I was sitting by a guy uh, who looked like Uncle Cy from Duck Dynasty. He looked like Uncle Cy from Duck Dynasty, and I'm sitting by Uncle Cy, and we're probably, you know, five, ten minutes into our conversation. Uncle Cy looks over and says, guess what? One of my best friends is black. <laughs> Just for the record, that is not like a term of endearment. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to let a black person know that you know another black person. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, like, he might as well said, hey, get one of my best friends is black. I even own a pair of black boots. <laughs> In my house, we watch a colored TV. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. So anyway, but it is, uh, it's great. One thing about the traveling is, again, always in airports, always going places. And I get to go to some amazing places like Hawaii. As a matter of fact, uh, yeah, you guys can cheer for Hawaii, the 808. Is that what, whatever you call it? But uh, so I was uh, on my way down here, and I'm on social media all the time. And so I tweeted, like, man, going to Hawaii, really looking forward to it. My family's going with me. It's going to be a great time. And when I tweeted out, I had somebody tweet, oh, Pastor Scott, you're going to have so much fun. They'll tell me this water park I should go to. I should go to this beach. I should go swimming. And I just simply responded back, I'm not going swimming because I can't swim. You laugh. You know brothers can't swim. You know what I'm saying? I can't swim a lick. I can't dog paddle. If I go in the water, I am just drowning. But let me tell you guys, one thing about I've loved about Hawaii and, and my time here, I've, I've worked at a number of churches here on the island, and, and they've always told me, man, you have to, you have to meet my, my friend, Pastor Carl. Like, man, they're doing some amazing thing at Hope Chapel, Kaneohe Bay. Like, it's crazy. Like, you have to meet him. So, yeah, you can clap for that because this is your church. And so, like, so, so the cool thing, like, when we had dinner, just like he said, it's like, 
when you meet somebody, because I speak at so many different places, I meet so many different people, like you can go and you can do the hang thing, but like literally, we were sitting there just like chilling over dinner, love Kanani, like she's just real. One thing I love about your pastors, like, man, they're the real deal. What you see is what you get. They love you guys. They love this community. They want to reach this entire community and the world with the good news of Jesus. And so you guys are truly blessed, not, not just to have amazing leaders, but I'm from the South or the Midwest. We call it, man, we call them, we say people are just good people. That's when you know, like, they've been elevated. So, man, would you honor your pastors and just give them a hand clap for who they are, what God is doing in their lives? I mean, I saw the sign when I walked in and said, welcome home here. And he was kind of talking about, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I kind of have the, the ability. I've just adopted myself into your family. So for some of you guys, I'm not a guest speaker. I'm not a visitor. I'm family. You know what I'm saying? So for some of you guys, I'm like that black uncle that you always wanted. For some of you, I'm that cool black brother you always wanted. And for some of you, I'm that black son-in-law that you never wanted. Yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, your neighbor might not get that joke. You might have to lean over and tell him. Uh, <laughs> but no, it is, it's great to be here. I, it's truly a, an honor and a privilege to be able to stand before you and share God's word. And I really feel like that I have a, a message from God that's going to speak to the hearts of every single person that's in this room. And so I just pray that you would open your hearts to receive that. So before we go, dive into the word, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. God, we uh, just thank you so much. God, I thank you for who you are, uh, Lord. I thank you for the things that we see. I thank you for the things that you provide, and Lord, we even thank you for the things that we don't see. Uh, God, the best that I can do today is to stand up and to deliver a general message that you've laid on my heart, but Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit can take this message and divide it hundreds of times so it speaks uniquely to every single person that's under the sound of my voice in this room and at church online, and we ask that you do that. Lord, allow me to get out of the way, allow your Holy Spirit to speak, and Lord, do what you want to do because you can, because you are God. We love you and we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen and amen. If you guys have your Bibles with you today, you can go ahead and open them up to, if you have Bibles with you, you can hold them up. Hold them up if you have you. If your smartphone, you can hold it up. All right? If you have a dumb phone, that'd be anything other than an iPhone, you can hold it up as well. And so, uh, sorry, Android folks, but, uh, <laughs> but it's all good. So uh, Mark, uh, Mark chapter 10 uh, verse 46 is where we're going to begin our time together. And so you've been in a series where you've been kind of looking at the secrets of Jesus through these parables and stories that he told. And so we're not going to look at a parable today, but we're going to look at this secret lesson that we can learn through Jesus and one of the miracles he performed with a blind man. Now, how many of you guys have heard of blind Bartimaeus by show of hands? Okay, some of you may have. If you haven't, here in a little bit, you're going to hear all about it. So I'm going to go ahead and set the stage for the time that we're going to look at in Scripture. So you had, uh, you had Jericho, like he would sit out there on the edge of the wilderness. And what would happen is, is you had these Galilean Jews, as they're on their pilgrimage to the holy city, to Jerusalem, instead of going through Samaria, what they would do is they'd go along the east side of the Jordan. They'd go up, and as they would come back through the city of Jericho, and they would, the last part of their journey up to the holy city would be this very, very steep road. So you guys are tracking with me? So they got to go up this very, very steep road before they got to the holy city. And some of you, how many of you know that's kind of the story of our lives and what we have to do? Sometimes we got to go up to a very, very steep road before we can get to our destination, before we can get to that holy city, if you will. And so that's what they're doing. And so there was this blind man by the name of Bartimaeus, and he was a blind beggar. And what he would do is he wanted to try to tap into this generosity of, of these Galilean Jews as they're on their pilgrimage to the holy city. It's kind of like he wanted to play on their emotions. It's kind of like, so he wanted, he sit up there with this beggar's tent, and he would just sit there and he'd beg. And so you're tracking them. They're on this very, very last part of this steep hill as they're on their way to the Holy Land. And they would sit there and they would see this blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus. And that's what he would sit there and do. He would just sit there and beg. 
And so as we're tapping into these secrets, we're going to look at the secrets through the eyes of this blind beggar, through this blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, uh, go ahead and follow along with me. And it'll also be on the screen. Uh, begin with verse 46 through 52. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read it in its entirety. Then we're going to come back and we're going to unpack it a couple of verses at a time. Is that all right with everybody? All right, Church Online, is that all right with you guys? Yes, you tapped the screen and said yes. Amen. All right, here we go. So verse 46, here's what the Bible says. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. I love this guy, like, they told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. They called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Everybody say, I want to see. He said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Here's what I love. There's oftentimes when we see miracles with Jesus, you notice this, he says, your faith has healed you then immediately. So it's important to understand that faith is an important component if we want to see some breakthroughs in our life. And so as we're going to look through the eyes of this blind man and the secrets of this blind man, we're going to see how we can see miracles in our life, how we can see and experience breakthroughs in our life, and more importantly, how we can see what God wants us to see for each and every one of our lives. As a matter matter of fact, I want everybody to turn around to your neighbor right now and say, I need to see. Okay, now stop, 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 stop. I want you to turn around to your other neighbor that wasn't your first choice, that was clearly your second choice. I want you to turn around. I want you to look at them and say, you need to see. You need to see. You need to see. Here's the deal. All of us need to see. Because when we talk about seeing, we're talking about breakthroughs in our life. We're talking about seeing miracles. We're talking about seeing what Jesus wants us to see. And we, and we always think like that miracle is something for somebody else who, who is in stage four cancer or that miracle. But we all are in need of a breakthrough. We're all in need of seeing what Jesus wants us to see. A uh, real quick question for you guys. How many of you guys have ever had like an eye exam? You've been to the eye doctor and had an eye exam by a show of hands? By a show of hands? Okay, many of you guys. And if you haven't, here's how it works. They, 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 you go there and you look at the different things. They'll be like, A or B, or one, two, or, okay, three or four, two or three. And you go back, and I'm the guy that's always like, no, go back, because I want to get it just right. And it's one, two, A, B. And the, what the eye doctor is doing is he's putting different lenses. He's putting different things that you see in front because he wants to twist and turn and twist and turn until you get what? 20-20 vision. And so that, here's the deal. And we think when we see a breakthrough in our life, when we see a miracle in our life, we think it's just we're going to see it instantly. But that's not how God's work, how God's hand works. It's just like this optometrist where turn it this way, A or B. And so we have to make decisions. Yes, that one or this one. And as we're turning it and we continue to turn it and we continue to turn it, we will begin to see what God wants us to see. We'll begin to see and experience some miracles and breakthroughs in our life. And so let me just tell you guys this. If you want to see some miracles in your life, if you want to see 
some breakthroughs in your life, if you want to see what Jesus wants you to see for your life, you're going to need to drop some stuff. Matter of fact, everybody say drop some stuff. stuff. Say drop something. something. Say "I I need to drop something. Say drop it like it's hot. No, don't say that. Don't say that. No, no. But no, sir. But here's the thing. You are going to have to drop some stuff if you want to see some breakthroughs in your life. If you want to see some miracles in your life. And so if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write this first one down. The first thing you need to drop is this, is you need to drop your care. Everybody say drop your care. Drop your care. Drop your care. Verse 46 through 48. Here's what the Bible says. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with, the, with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I love this part that the Bible says that, that many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Uh, in other words, many of them was like, dude, what are you doing? What are you shouting at Jesus for, man? You tripping, man. Shut up, dog. What are you doing? Like, that's my translation. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the Scott version of the Bible. And so, but, but that's what they're like, Joe, shut up. This is Jesus. Why are you yelling at him? But I love what, the, what Bartimaeus, he, he didn't listen to them. He didn't pay attention to them. It says many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But here's what Bartimaeus did. But he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. You see, there's going to be some people in your lives that are going to tell you, Stop. Shut up. You don't need to be doing that. And oftentimes the people that are going to be the ones that are going to be telling you to stop and to be the ones that's going to be in between you and you seeing your blessing are going to be the ones that are closest to you. Because we live in a society where we're all about worrying about what people think. I mean, some of you think, oh, well, Pastor Scott, I don't really care what people think. Yes, you do. I mean, matter of fact, it's almost like we walk around with this sign in our back pocket. And ladies, you walk around with it in your purse. And it simply reads this. This is a sign that you walk around with. And you're thinking, oh, some of you may be giggling, but this is what you walk around with. I mean, you think about it. Some of you, you're in college, and the reason why you're majoring in the major that you're majoring in is because that's what your parents want you to major in. Some of you, you know what, the reason why you're staying in the, in the position you're in in the military and you haven't tried for promotion because you don't think you're good enough or people tell you you're too young. Or ladies, the reason why you're settling for this relationship that you know is not God's best is because you really care about what people think is because he's really, really cute, but you know he's not God's best. Or the reason that you're, you're spending the things that you spend and buying the things that you buy, trying to impress people that don't care, spending money that you don't have is because why? Because you really care about what people think. I mean, that's the society we live in. I mean, think about it before you post that selfie on Instagram, you take 20 different pictures, you put six different filters on it, and then you ask the person next to you, does this look all right? You know what I'm saying? Why is that? Because we care about what people think. And as it relates to social media, like a lot of times we go on social media just to see what our friends are doing, and then we go on there and we end up getting depressed because we go on and we're comparing our everyday, ordinary lives to the highlight reels of our friends and others. Because you're, you're, maybe you're, you've been searching for Mr. and Mrs. Wright, and you see your friend, they're just talking about how great their relationship is, and you've been praying and asking God to send you Mr. and Mrs. Wright, or or maybe you, you haven't even been able to take a staycation, let alone a vacation, and your friends and family are talking about they're in Dubai and they're in Rome and they're, they're at the top of the Statue of Liberty chilling. You know what I'm saying? Like just something crazy. And we begin to compare our lives to that. And that's what gets in our way of being able to see what God has for us. And we start to think that we're not good enough. And we start to think as couples that, you know what, there's, the doctors have told us there's no way that we can get pregnant. We've tried for year after year. You begin to believe that. And you don't begin to have the same faith 
that blind Bartimaeus has. And that's what you need to do. Let me just tell you this. You have to stop focusing on what people think and start focusing on what God thinks. Because the more you focus on what people think, the, the more you will lose sight of what God thinks. And God doesn't want you to focus on what people think. He's very clear on what he thinks. And he's very clear on what he says about you. And I'm thinking about a, a time in my life, I'm just being real honest and get open and and transparent with you guys, I haven't always been a pastor. I haven't always had the opportunity to go around the world and share God's word. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm just going to get real. I, I spent a large number of my adult years in the prison system. 12 years, 22 days, and 8 hours to be exact. 8 by 10 cell, razor wire, pinned up anger, bad food, prison. I was a warden in the prison system. You guys can breathe. Man, if you see the looks on some of your faces. I mean, there was two types of people in the room at that point. There was my man that was like, wow. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow. There was some of you like, wow, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God delivered this man. And there was another group of us like, what's Pastor Carl doing with a convict in the pulpit? You know what I'm saying? Like, you ain't got to say which one you're in. I know which one you're in because the one you laughed at. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, true story, at the age of 25, I was one of the youngest prison wardens in the country. And I didn't know at the time that God was going to use my time as a prison warden to prepare me for ministry. And it wasn't until I became a full-time pastor, I learned that there's a lot of similarities between leading a prison and leading a church. Can I get an amen? amen? The biggest difference between them and many of us is we didn't get caught. You know what I'm saying? So like, um, and so I was a young prison warden. Again, the average age for a prison warden was about 55 or 60. And so I had this uh, retired Marine that was my boss, my mentor, the best leader I've ever worked for. And he believed in me. He took a risk on a 25-year-old kid and, and put me in charge of this prison facility, which was crazy. And everybody was telling me it was crazy and it, and it wasn't a good idea. We were going to have riots. and There's going to be problems. And, and I'll be honest with you, I, I kind of started to, as I'm worrying about what people think, it, I started to have a little bit of insecurity, like, well, maybe they're right. Maybe this was a, a bad move. Maybe, I don't think I'd put myself in charge of this facility. And so I kind of started to wrestle with that. And um, I remember one time we had a, and I, you know, I'm a brother. They say I look young now. Like, I, I was 25 years old, so I looked a lot younger. Than, I'm 40, about to be 42 in July. So I remember I'm sitting there, and, and we had this big tour group that's going to come to our facility. It was like some really important people. I'm this new prison warden, and um, it was like uh, some state senators and some other important people. And me and my staff, we met them there in the front lobby as they were going to come in, and we we're kind of talking to them about what's going on in the facility. And I remember one of the state senators looked at me and said, how long have you been in the facility, and when are you getting out? I looked at him and said, how long has your mama been in the facility, and when is she getting out? I'm not saying it was the right thing to say. I wasn't all the way saved back then, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just telling you what a brother said, you know what I'm saying? And so we toured the facility, and we do the whole, I still don't know at the end of the tour if he even knew that I was the warden of the facility. And so anyway, we toured, and I remember one time, as this was kind of rest, messing with me a little bit, I'm sitting there talking to um, Dana Avans. She was my business administrator, she, just an amazing woman of God, and she said, Scott, you can't worry about what people think. She says, here's the deal. She says, no, you don't have 25 years of experience. You've only lived 25 years. She said, but here's what you do have. You went and got your bachelor's in psychology. You got your master's in criminal justice management administration. And you've put in the work here. People show that they respect your leadership. Let me tell you this. She said, I've worked for 31 years, and I've never worked for anyone that brings more godly leadership than what you do to this facility. She says, here's the deal. Don't worry about what people think. God says you've been equipped and called to do what you're doing here. And so what she did at that moment is she began to plant a seed in me that, you know what, I can't worry about what people think. I must begin to worry about 
what God thinks. And so that's what I started to do. I said, I can't worry about what people think. Because here, here's what I had to understand, and this is what you need to understand is this, is your circumstances don't define you. Your past doesn't define you. What people think about you and say about you doesn't define you. Let me tell you what defines you. It's what God says about you. What God says is you're an heir to Christ. He says that same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. He says that you have been set free. He says that you are more than a conqueror. He says that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That's what God says about you. So you can't worry about what people say. You got to worry about what God says. Oftentimes what our problem is is this. Let me tell you what your problem is. Is that you worry about everything, but you don't truly seek God for anything. Let me say this one more time because I don't think you heard it. Matter of fact, I'll drink to that. All right, I'm going to say it again. Your problem is this. You worry about everything, but you don't truly seek God for anything. Because when you truly seek God, it means that you're going to have the same type of faith that Bartimaeus had and the same type of faith that we see all throughout the Bible when miracles occur. Your faith has healed you. Your faith is why you're getting this breakthrough. Your faith is why you got that promotion. Your faith is why you're getting pregnant. Your faith is why you find Mr. or Mrs. Right. Your faith. Then immediately. But you can't worry about what people think. Because here's the deal. like You're going to be confident and some people are going to be insecure. Don't allow their insecurities to rub off on you. Be confident anyway. Yeah. And there's an old Japanese proverb that says that the nail that stands out gets hammered. Who cares if the nail that stands out gets hammered? Stand out anyway. Because you are more than a conqueror. God has put something special in you. And he wants you to stand out. And so, again, the first thing if you're taking notes is you got to drop your care. The second thing if you're taking notes is you got to drop your coat. Everybody say, drop your coat. Drop your coat. Drop your coat. Let me go ahead and read. Here's the Bible says, verse uh, 49 through 50. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And his, his cloak, his cloak is his coat or his outer garment. And so you think about this blind man is sitting there begging and he has his cloak, his coat is over him. And it's important to understand what does that coat represent? He's relying on everybody for everything. He can't see, he can't see anything. So he's sitting very comfortably on the side of the road and this cloak, this coat represented his comfort zone. And so he was very comfortable because he couldn't see and he just would sit like this. And many of you guys, you're sitting in this same position in your comfort zone. And so we're talking about dropping your coat we're talking about dropping your comfort zone. We're talking about getting out of your comfort zone because every single one of you have a comfort zone. But let me tell you this today, nothing great ever came from a comfort zone. You're never gonna hear a story of greatness that came out of a comfort zone. So you need to drop your coat. You need to drop your comfort zone. We all have them. For some of you, your comfort zone is drugs and alcohol or prescription drugs. Some of your comfort zone is, is yelling and, and anger. And some of your comfort zone is just gossip because it's much easier to focus on what so-and-so ain't doing than it is to look in the mirror and see what you need to do. Some of you, your comfort zone is complacency. And you're taught that I just do my little thing and my little piece of the world and I don't try to do anything else. Some of your comfort zone is relationships. Maybe you don't care if it's a good one or a bad one, you just need to be in one. Some of your comfort zone is, is money and spending and just trying, again, trying to buy stuff that you can't afford and trying to please people that don't even care. 
The question I want you to wrestle with is, what is your comfort zone? Some of your comfort zone is forgiveness or lack thereof. And what you need to understand about forgiveness is this. Because some of you are like, Pastor Scott, I know you're saying I should forgive, but you don't understand what they've done to me. You don't understand all the heartache that they've caused me. What I'm telling you is this, is when you forgive somebody, you're letting them off of your hook. Just because they're off of your hook doesn't mean they're off of God's hook. The most important thing for you is you got to forgive them. So question, what is your comfort zone? What are you wrestling with? What are areas that, that's keeping you from all of God's best because you're sitting there hanging around in your comfort zone? You got to start looking in the mirror and asking yourself that question. You know, I told you I'm, I'm always on flights and I travel like a lot. So again, I meet lots of people and, and you know, speaking of comfort zones and comfortable, um, before I started flying a lot, I didn't really care about first class. I kind of thought it was silly, but I'll be honest with you, as much as I'm in an airplane, as many hours I spend in an airplane, that upgrade of about six inches of leg room and that extra comfortable seat is from Jesus. Can I get an amen? You know what I'm saying? Like, so, like, so, so brother gets upgraded almost every time. And I remember one time I was flying, I was on a flight again. I meet lots of folks like Duck Dynasty, Uncle Cy. And I was sitting by this guy, and I was on Periscope. And if you don't know what Periscope is, it's like a live streaming app. So I'm on Periscope, and I'm streaming like as people are coming in the airplane. And, and this guy sits by, he's like, hey, you're on Periscope? And I'm like, yeah. So we're talking. And then as we get into the flight, we begin, you know, always the conversation, what do you do for a living? And so I asked this guy, like, what do you do? And he told me he was the global brand director for Nike. How many of you guys know if you're sitting beside the global brand director from Nike, what is the first thought that goes through your mind? That's right, hook a brother up with some shoes. You know what I'm saying? Like, like <laughs> I, here's the deal. I thought it, I didn't say it. I learned from my, that state senator, your mama moment. I was like, you know what? I got to learn to capture those thoughts. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't, I can't say everything that goes on up in here. You know what I'm saying? That'd get me in a lot of trouble. And so we began to have a conversation. And the more conversation we had, he began to tell me a little bit more of his story. And, and he was from California. He says, if you remember, a few years back, he was uh, sitting at dinner. There was a large group of friends. It was dinner. He said it was 17 of them at dinner. About 20 minutes into dinner, he said he kind of just, just peers down the, the end of the table, and he looks, and he realized that there was 17 of them, and eight of them were couples, and it was him. And he said at that moment, he said, you know what? I need to really evaluate my life. I've become really complacent, and I've become really comfortable. And so he said, that, you know what, I don't know what I'm going to do. He started applying for different jobs. And one of the jobs he applied for was this crazy job at Nike. And he goes through like an eight to nine month interview process. Then they called off from the job. And the way I understand, they called off from the job. And he had to answer on that phone call if he wanted the job. And so obviously he takes the job. He goes in and amazing success. He's all over the world. But the thing is, the greatness of that story isn't the fact that he got a job for Nike. What the most important thing of that story is the same thing we look and we look at the secrets of this blind man, Bartimaeus, is because he was willing to get out of his comfort zone, God was able to show something amazing in his life. And the same thing is true for every single one of you. Once you step out of your comfort zone, it's amazing what you're going to be able to see. It's amazing the breakthroughs that are going to happen in your life. Because here's the thing, nothing great is going to come from a comfort zone. You'll never experience anything great from a comfort zone. As a matter of fact, can I, can I pray something over, over all of you guys today? I'm going to pray something over you. I pray that God makes your comfort zones really uncomfortable. <laughs> I pray that God makes every single one of your comfort zones really uncomfortable. 
For those of you that comfort zone is alcohol, I pray that you're holding the bottle, the glass this week, and it just breaks and glass busts right in front of you. I pray for those of you that moms, that you're called to be stay-at-home moms, but you're being comfortable at work. I pray that your children come to you every single day this week, and they just grab a hold of you and say, Mommy, I wish that you would stay home. I pray that those that are in relationships that you know is not God's best, I pray that you get in an argument and that you break up forever this week. Whatever your comfort zone is, I pray that you just wake up in cold sweats this week, and you just don't know what's going on, but you know God is stirring you and encouraging you and challenge you to get outside of your comfort zone. And for those of you that come in every single week and sit in your comfortable Christian chair and you know that you can be a part of all that God is doing in and through this ministry, I pray that you get out of that comfort zone and you begin to serve beginning next week. Because here's the deal. I don't pray those things over you to try to be mean or, or ugly. All I'm saying is I want what's God's best for you. That's what your pastor wants. And more importantly, that's what Jesus wants for you. And you're not going to experience it. sitting inside your comfort zone. Fellas, many of you, your comfort zone is pride. And that's one thing you need to drop. You need to drop your pride. You need to drop it at the door. You know what your comfort zone is. The question is, is are you going to be willing to get out of it? The last thing you need to drop, if you're taking notes, you can write this one down, is you need to drop your cup. Drop your cup. The Bible says, verse 51, 52, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, what did he say? Rabbi what? I want to see. Come on, everybody join in. You can do better. Everybody said, I want to see. So the blind man says, I want to see. And then the next verse, Jesus says, go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you immediately. Your faith has healed you immediately. So it's always the faith, the faith of a blind man. Your faith has healed you. The faith that something amazing is about to happen. And I'm sitting here, the only thing I got is a beggar's hand. I got a coat and I'm on the side of the road begging. But I thought that if I believed just enough that something amazing might happen, your faith has healed you immediately. He received his sight. Your faith has healed you immediately. The couple got pregnant. Your faith has healed you immediately. The bondage of drugs and alcohol was broken. Your faith has healed you immediately. They were healed from cancer. Your faith has healed you immediately. The relationship was mended. Your faith has healed you immediately. The, the marriage that was hanging on by a string is now one of the best marriages ever. Your faith has healed you and followed Jesus along the road. Faith is important. I'm not saying that having a strong faith is going to remove your problems. But I am saying that having a strong faith will remove their power and influence over your life. Let me say that one more time. Rewind that. Your faith is not going to remove your problems, but it will remove their power and influence over your lives. And that's what's important for us to understand that that's why we have to be able to have the same type of faith as a blind man. And you think about Bartimaeus. He was sitting there relying on everybody for everything. They would come through and, and he would just sit on the roadside begging. And that's what he would do. He would sit on the roadside begging. He relied on people to come by and give him advice. 
He relied on people to come by and give him money. He relied on people to come by and give him some self-help information. So what is that for you? What is what is what are you holding in your cup? Again, is it the drugs? Is it the alcohol? Is it the lack of commitment? What are the things that you're holding on? Is it all the baggage that you've held on to from the past? Is it what your family member says about you? Is it what your friends say about you? Is it what you think they think about you? Is it that you're finding your identity in your job and you're a workaholic? What is it for you? What are the things that you're holding on to? Because you got to learn to let go of some stuff. And you got to be willing to drop some stuff. Talk about Bartimaeus. If Bartimaeus held on to this sign right here, I wouldn't be preaching this message to you right now because that'd look a whole lot different. If they said they rebuked him and told him to be quiet, he wouldn't have said anything. Jesus would have kept walking and we wouldn't be talking about this story right now. But Bartimaeus and what we learned from his life is you can't worry about what people think. You got to be willing to drop your care. So just like Bartimaeus did, you got to be willing to drop your care. And that's what he did. You got to drop your care and you got to leave it there. You got to drop your care. You can't go around worrying about what people think if you want to experience all that God has for you in your life. So you got to drop your care and you got to leave it there. But Bartimaeus took it another step further. He said, I'm getting that I don't care what they think. I get I'm going to push through the crowd and I'm going to continue to call on the name of Jesus. But he said, I need to take it a step further. I'm pretty comfortable under my cloak. I'm pretty comfortable with my coat. But what he said is, I know that I need to drop my coat. I need to drop my comfort zone. And that's what you need to do. You need to drop your comfort zone. You need to get out of your comfort zone if you want to experience breakthrough in your life. If you want to experience a miracle in your life. If you want to experience something amazing, all that God has for you, you got to be willing to drop your coat. And so that's what we love for him. You got to drop your coat. You got to drop your care. But it doesn't stop there. You got to be willing to drop Drop this thing that you've been holding on to. This represents all of it, all of the information, all of the stuff, all the things that you think are important. You're holding on to all of these things. You're holding on to all of this stuff. And this is the last thing that you're going to have to drop. You know, I told you guys that I was a, a prison warden, and the first facility that I ran when I was 25 years old was a maximum secure juvenile facility. And it was in Union City, Oklahoma. We had the worst of the worst kids in the state. So basically the kids that were in our facility, they were the, they were the worst. They committed adult crimes, everything from murder to rape to robbery, you name it. And if they didn't complete our program, they would be what they call bridge to the adult system. And they would have to spend the rest of their time there. So if they completed our program, they would kind of still keep their, their crime as a juvenile crime. And so we got the worst of the worst kids. And I remember um, one time they called us about taking this young man that none of the other facilities wanted to take. And this young man's name was Lando, and Lando was a terror. As a matter of fact, in our local county detention center, Lando had already fractured three of the staff members' jaws, and he had beat up a number of the other residents. He was, like, whatever you're pitching right now in your mind of the worst, the worst kid, that's Lando. I remember when Lando came to, I told, we told him, go ahead and send him to our facility. Again, 25-year-old kid, I don't care, send him. You know, send him over. And I remember we went to the reception area to meet him, and, and we're sitting there talking, and rough kid. I remember just looking at me, just kind of telling the expectation. This is how we roll the facility. This is what we expect. This is what we want you to do. I remember like it was yesterday. He looked up at me and says, Warden, I really don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. I'm going to do what I want to do because that's what I do. He says, I've been in and out of facility since I was eight years old. He says, there's nothing your staff are going to say, nothing your staff are going to do that's going to change me. He was a rough kid. And so we let him know our expectation. I remember about a month into Lando being in our facility, we get a code 10, which is a disturbance in our school. Our school was located inside our facility. So I go down there, you know, see Lando, and he was just squared up. 
getting ready to fight one of our teachers and then all the other residents who are around there. And one of the things that, that I learned real quickly, and this is a kind of a good lesson for life, is this because we're, we care so much about what people think. As long as the crowd was around, he was going to begin to act different. And so what, what I learned is this, is that if you want to begin some de-escalation, you got to remove somebody from the situation. And so here's this. So if you want to begin some de-escalation with whatever you're dealing with in your life, you got to remove yourself from the situation. So that's what we did. We removed Lando from the situation and took him to one of the counselor's offices. And we begin to have a conversation with him and begin to talk. And the more we begin to talk, we saw some layers of this rough and toughness begin to fall off. And we begin to find out, and this most important thing we found out about Lando was this, is Lando couldn't read. As a matter of fact, he read at less than a first grade reading level. And so here's the story of Lando's life. He would go to school. It was time to do work. Oh no, somebody's gonna find out that I can't read. What do I do? I get mad, I cause a disruption, I fight somebody, I go to detention, I don't do anything in detention. I go here, they put me in a group home, they take me out of the home, they put me in a foster home, and this vicious cycle was over and over and over and over again. And so here's the thing. This kid had been told all his life that he needed to be in a more secure facility. This kid had been told all of his life that you know what, he needs more psychotropic drugs, just give him more Ritalin. This kid had been told all of his life, you need to just bridge him to the adult system, there's no way, he is just a terror. But here's the deal, that's not what Lando needed. What he needed, he needed to know how to read. And so it's just like Bartimaeus, they were giving him all this stuff and Bartimaeus needed to know how to see. And all I know is this, is that Lando was with us for about two years and after about two years he read at about an eighth grade reading level and all I know was once we begin to see exactly what Lando needed, all I know is his life began to be different and so some of you are holding on to some stuff that you think you need but I came here to tell you you don't need all that stuff all the stuff that you think you need you don't need what you need you need is Jesus you need to do just like Bartimaeus did you need to get up on your feet and you need to run toward Jesus and that's what he did and that's what you need to do you can you got to drop all this stuff and you need to run after Jesus and that's the most important lesson that we learn in Bartimaeus's life but some of you you're here today, and you're still holding on to all this stuff. This is the last thing to drop. And what Jesus sent me thousands of miles here and flew over a bunch of water to simply tell you this. There's some stuff in your life you need to drop. Because here's the deal. He's sitting here. I want you to imagine this. Some of you, you imagine you're holding on to all this stuff right now. And God is saying, I have something amazing, sir. I have something amazing, ma'am. I have something amazing for you, couple. I have something amazing for you, young man. I have something amazing for all of you guys. I have something amazing for you, and I'm trying to get it in your hands, but I can't get it to you because you're holding on to all of this stuff. You're holding on to the past. You're holding on to what people think. And what Jesus is saying is this. If you want to experience all of God's best in your life, you're going to need to drop some stuff. You're going to need to drop your cup, and you're going to need to get up on your feet and run after Jesus. And that's what Bartimaeus did, and that's what many of you are going to do today. Your life is going to be different because you're going to drop some stuff. Some of you came in here with some heavy hearts today. Or maybe this message stirred up some heavy hearts. But you're going to walk out of here different because you're dropping some stuff. And breakthrough is going to happen for you this week. You're going to see some things begin to happen in your life immediately. Once you drop some stuff and you have the faith of a blind man. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you're a God that 
changes lives, Lord, right now, as you begin to soften the hearts of every single one of your sons and daughters that are under the sound of my voice right now, God. And for those of you that are just, this is a between you and God moment, that you're just being real honest, you say, you know what, there's some things in my life I need to drop. All of us have them. And those you're saying, you know what, I, I, I would like my faith to begin to be increased. So if you want to go before God and say, God, help me to drop some stuff, and I want my faith increased all across this room. If that's your prayer before God, just raise your hand high right now. God, I know that affects everybody. If you want to say, I, there's some stuff I need to drop, there's some stuff I need to drop, hands up all over. God, I pray right now for every single one of your sons and daughters that are raising their hand and saying they need to drop some stuff, Lord. I pray that immediately, Lord, you begin to allow them to experience breakthrough in their life. Lord, I, immediately they begin to experience some miracles in their life. Lord, immediately you show up and they know that it was because of you and they know that it's because of their faith, God. Begin to release your people. You can put your, your hands down now with heads still bowed and eyes still closed. I want to talk to another group of you today. I want to talk to a group of you that came in today and, and you're hearing this whole Christianity thing. You're like, well, well, Pastor Scott, you don't understand all the wrong that I've done. You don't understand what I did last night at the 4th of July celebration. But what Jesus is saying is that's why I came. I came for you and my arms are open wide and you're going to need to drop some stuff today so you can truly experience a new life, so you can truly be made a new creation. Because here's what I know is that there's many people that are going to miss heaven by 12 inches because they have a head knowledge but they don't have a heart acceptance I'm not asking you have you ever came to church and, and sang a Christian song have you ever read your Bible have you ever done a good deed have you ever prayed a prayer I'm asking you have you ever truly surrendered your life to Jesus I'm asking you have you ever truly stepped across that spiritual line and invited Jesus to come into your life and if you have it and you can't answer that question emphatically here in a few moments you're going to have the opportunity to do so but let me tell you this right now the enemy is going to try to talk you out of making the most important decision of your entire life and I'm telling you right now you don't listen to the enemy, you get ready. So if you're here today, you're saying today's the day. I want to step across that spiritual line. I want to invite Jesus to come into my life, to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to be my everything. I want to be made brand new. If that's you and that's your prayer all across this room, just raise your hand real high right now and keep it up so I can acknowledge you. You want to surrender your life to Jesus, keep it up. I see you right here, sir. Welcome to the family of God. I see you, sir. Others of you. I see you, young man. Back in the far right, man. Welcome to the family of God. Others of you. Others of you, call on the name of Jesus today. Today's the day you surrender your life to Jesus. It's between you and God. Here's, I'm going to ask this question one more time because I know that there's someone else that's sitting here right now and they're allowing those thoughts and the stuff they're holding on to be what's between them and surrendering their life to Jesus. So one last time, if you're here today, you want to make a decision to surrender your life to Jesus, what I want you to do is just to slip your hand up real high right now. I'm just going to meet you eye to eye and acknowledge you. I got you. I knew it right here. Welcome to the family of God. I knew it, sir. Welcome to the family of God. Generation going to be changed because of the decision you made. Welcome to the family of God, sir. Welcome to the family of God, sir. Others of you. Others of you. This is your day. This is your day. I see you over to my far left. I don't want to miss anybody. I see you, sir. Welcome to the family of God. We'll be patient. That's why. That's why this church exists is for this moment right here. Others of you. Others of you. All right, Hope Chapel, here's what we want to do. It's every single one of us in this room. We're going to pray this prayer out loud together as a church family, all of us loudly. And we're going to celebrate at the end with the decisions that people are making to surrender their life to Jesus. I want every single person in this room to repeat this prayer after me saying, Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for my sins. Today I choose to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Change me. 
and make me brand new. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, Hope Chapel. Let's give it up for changed lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Awesome. Awesome.